You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Beta blockers in hypertension. Is it a wise choice? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, from the section of cardiology at the University of Chicago. And with me today is Dr. William J. Elliott. Dr. Elliott is the professor of preventive medicine in the Department of Preventive Medicine at Rush University Medical Center. And today we're going to talk about the use of beta blockers in hypertension and some of the recent controversy about considering this class of agents as tier one or first choices in the treatment of hypertension. Dr. Elliott, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Now, I know in this country we have the Joint National Committee that's helped give us guidelines for the treatment of hypertension. And recently, these guidelines have differed a bit from what has been published in the UK. Mainly, beta blockers are now being suspect. Uh, Can we start by talking about beta blockers and its use in hypertension? And why is there some controversy now about this class? I think the controversy stems from the fact that in various reviews of the outcomes in studies where beta blockers were used, seems that the beta blocker treatment was not as effective in reducing stroke, for example, and heart attack, for example, and sometimes even death, which gave great concern to our friends in Britain when they made their most recent guidelines. Now, they are a little bit more, how do we say, acutely aware of this phenomenon because they used uh, atenolol uh, as the primary comparator in their ASCOT study. That's their all-hat, if you will, 19,000-plus hypertensive people randomized to either amlodipine as first line or atenolol as first line. And uh, their data suggested, in fact, uh, that there was a big benefit to individuals getting amlodipine and not atenolol, especially regarding death. Uh, And so I think that's the reason that the Brits are a bit more, how do we say, anti-beta blocker than perhaps we are here in this country, where beta blockers have not had such a huge number of studies, very important studies recently, especially in hypertension, where they tend to get used as second-line and not first-line drugs. Well, despite that, though, they are considered, I believe, first-line drugs by the Joint National Committee. So is there any trial where a beta blocker is compared to placebo that clearly shows that there is a risk reduction in stroke and heart attacks? This is a very complicated and difficult issue. The first, if I may just speak to the issue about JNC7, In JNC7, if you take a rather hard-line look at it, uh, what you see is that previous JNC reports always had recommended either diuretics or beta blockers as first-line therapy for uncomplicated people. What happened in JNC7 was that the JNC7 people were well-influenced by ALHAT, of course, Antihypertensive and Lipid-Lowering Prevention of Heart Attack Trial, in which chlorothaladone was at least as good, if not better, in lowering blood pressure and reducing cardiovascular risk as compared to an ACE inhibitor and a calcium channel blocker. In that study, a beta blocker was used as second-line therapy, not first-line. And the fact is that uh, JNC7, I think, took its cue from Alhat to recommend uh, thiazide-type diuretics as first-line therapy for uncomplicated folks. But if that was not tolerated or if there was a contraindication, for example, then a beta blocker was considered an acceptable alternative. But I think here the strict reading of JNC7 is that we're supposed to be using diuretics first and beta blockers fall into a second-line category or if, in fact, there's a reason not to use a diuretic, then perhaps a beta blocker is acceptable. Now, certainly there are plenty of studies using beta blockers after other conditions, for example, after an MI, after heart failure has uh, become manifest, where it clearly shows benefit. Can we use some of these secondary prevention trials to give us a hint, if you will, about benefit in the uncomplicated hypertensive patient? I suppose we could, but I think it's cleaner and easier and quicker to understand that 
In the circumstance that you're speaking of, post-heart attack, uh, people with major leak systolic dysfunction, there's no question that certain beta blockers anyway have been well shown to prevent hospitalization and second heart attack and even death. I, I think that's pretty clear, and I don't know anybody who would argue against that kind of data. What is the concern in hypertension is, is it reasonable to just extrapolate those nice results into folks who have not got heart attack, who don't have uh, left ventricular dysfunction, et cetera, et cetera. And many, I think, would, would argue, and I, I would agree, that this is an inappropriate extrapolation. We should have our own data, and we do. And so I think we have to try to separate uh, what we know, both in the circumstance of uh, major coronary disease already, for example, heart failure and uh, post-amyotic patients specifically, and, and those who presumably don't have it yet, but you know, if we left them untreated, or would be likely to get it. And the nice thing is we have plenty of such data. It's not like we, uh, how do we say, have to make a leap of faith because we have nothing on which to base an opinion. There are plenty of studies. In fact, some, uh, I guess it was almost three years ago, Ben Karlberg and uh, his colleagues in Sweden uh, put together a rather big meta-analysis of atenolol, the most widely used beta blocker in the world, uh, with a little over uh, 17,000 patients in the various trials. And what they saw was, in fact, a very large increase in the risk of death of 13% uh, amongst those given atenolol compared to any other drug. Uh, similarly, they saw a significant uh, increase in cardiovascular death by 16%, and perhaps most disappointingly or most worrisomely, they saw a 30% increase in the risk of stroke in the people who got atenolol as compared to any other drug. So this is, if you will, what started, I think, the uh, concerns, certainly about atenolol, as well as other beta blockers. Now, as a clinical pharmacologist, I have to remind everybody that beta blockers are not homogeneous. There are differences across beta blockers in many different ways. And uh, it's probably not fair to paint all beta blockers with the same broad brush just because they all block the beta adrenergic receptor. Many of them have ancillary properties. Many of them differ one to another because of uh, other kinds of blocking agents, alpha blockers, for example, for carvedilol and for labetalol. We have some drugs that are um, not specific to the beta-1 receptor blockade, like nedolol, for example, uh, whereas atenolol would be beta-1 selective. And, and so there are many different varieties, if you will, of uh, beta blockers. And that's why when people ask the question, uh, is it reasonable to use the beta blockers first-line antihypertensive therapy, I think that's a bit of a broad question because you can't really, how do we say, dumb down the beta blockers all to put them in the same cup or the same bin or the same bucket because they are different. And that's why I particularly am interested in looking at, for example, the most popular of these, atenolol. And the Karlberg meta-analysis published in 2004 was the first shot across the bow that there was something wrong. But the reality is that the people who did this study, of course, didn't include several of the more recent trials, some because perhaps they didn't know that the, what the results were. They didn't include ASCOT, of course, because uh, their study, in fact, was submitted probably a year and a half before the ASCOT trial results were eventually uh, presented and then published. Uh, so a couple of years ago, actually it's last year now, we actually put together not just the data that uh, Carlberg and his friends uh, had uh, published in The Lancet, but put together, in fact, uh, three times more data from the CONVINCE trial that we ran here, from the INVEST trial that uh, included the largest number of people ever given uh, atenolol. And these were people with coronary disease, so they weren't just hypertensives, but they were, in fact, all hypertensive as well. And then, of course, the uh, ASCOT trial with 19,257 people in them. So we added basically three times more data, both subjects and deaths, to the data that uh, were given and published originally in The Lancet in 2004. And we looked at the same sorts of endpoints that the Carl Bergen people did, uh, all-cause death, cardiovascular death, fatal and non-fatal coronary heart disease, and fatal and non-fatal stroke. And 
if I may summarize in a rather quick fashion, it turns out that these traditional meta-analyses are all acceptable in terms of the homogeneity, so that's not an issue. These studies fit together pretty well and give you pretty much the same answer across the group. But it turns out overall that their original ideas and their original conclusions were pretty much right on. Death, for example, is 10% more common, statistically significant, in those given atenolols compared to any other drug when you put these new data together with the old data. It turns out that cardiovascular death is 13% more common amongst people given atenolol compared to any other drug. And there, there was a little bit of a challenge with inhomogeneity, so I don't want to talk too much about that. Heart attack was slightly more common, but uh, not significantly so. But the big trouble was they found a 30% increased incidence of stroke with atenolol. We found when we put all the data together, 26% increase in the risk of stroke. And the p-value there actually has six zeros in front of the six. So this is highly significant. And one of the reasons that I think these days most people don't favor using atenolol as first-line antihypertensive drug because, in fact, it seems to be associated with a higher risk of many cardiovascular events, even though the blood pressures are not that much different. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and my guest is Dr. William Elliott, and we are discussing the use of beta blockers in the treatment of uncomplicated hypertension. When you look at this data from your meta-analysis and from the one published in The Lancet in 2004, can you speculate on why beta blockers, or in this case, I guess, a tenolol, may not be as effective? Is it just the blood pressure? Are we not getting the blood pressure to the goal we want, or is it possibly some of the metabolic problems that beta blockers may have? Well, we would have had a lot of speculation about this last year or the year before, but uh, I'm happy to say that our friends from the ASCOT trial did a sub-study called the, card- uh, the uh, conduit artery functional evaluation where they estimated central aortic pressure based on pulse wave tracings and uh, other sorts of fancy things, transfer functions and all kind of unusual stuff that we physicians don't think about very often. Uh, but anyway, what they were able to show was that if you looked at the differences in blood pressure measured at the brachial artery, as we traditionally do in the clinic. The fact is that in the ASCOT study and in the CAFE sub-study of ASCOT, there was no difference in the brachial artery blood pressures, atenolol compared to amlodipine uh, in the patients that they studied. However, when you looked at the central aortic pressures, there was a big difference, sometimes as much as six millimeters. I mean, the 95% confidence interval of difference is six millimeters of mercury difference. And so for those who believe that central aortic pressure is, what the, is the pressure that most of the internal organs see, or at least is closer to what the brain and the heart see as compared to what's out in the brachial artery, you could make an argument that even though we lower brachial artery blood pressure reasonably well with atenolol, we're not doing the job centrally. And I think that that is the leading candidate for why atenolol specifically, and perhaps some other beta blockers, but there again, we have some concerns about the differences across beta blockers. And this may not be true for all beta blockers. For example, we have vasodilating beta blockers uh, that have alpha blocker activity. We have one soon to come, we hope, to the United States that has nitrous oxide releasing capability, which is an interesting idea. It's a very popular drug in uh, England and uh, in Europe, but we don't have it here yet. But the point is these drugs may well be different in terms of how well they change central aortic pressure, probably more like what other traditional antihypertensive drugs will do. But I don't discount your idea that there might be a difference in terms of the metabolic side effects. You could make the argument uh, that, in fact, uh, beta blockers typically do, how do we say, raise the risk of new onset diabetes compared to placebo uh, and especially compared to ACE inhibitors and ARBs. 
But whether that is a complete explanation of why the excess risk is, I think, unproven and uh, still a bit of speculation. Do you think the half-life of atenolol may be part of the issue with this drug? Does the drug wear off so that we get a rebound effect early in the morning? Yeah, you could certainly make that uh, supposition. Nobody has really studied this uh, very carefully, I suspect because uh, atenolol is now a generic drug and nobody's really interested in pouring money into something like that. But I would certainly take your point that from a clinical pharmacological perspective, uh, tenolol has a fairly short-term half-life, six to eight hours in most people, and that does leave you sort of unprotected, if you will, in the early morning hours, which are the times when not only is blood pressure higher, but your risk of heart attack is 39% higher, your risk of stroke is 49% higher, your risk of cardiovascular death is, in fact, 29% higher as compared to what would have been expected if these events had happened sort of evenly distributed randomly throughout the day. I want to thank Dr. William Elliott, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing the use of beta blockers in the uncomplicated hypertensive patient. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.